Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Gabby Everett, and I am a member of this church and a member of the Chantilly CG. And it is my honor and privilege to bring the word to you this morning. Um, today's reading will be from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1 through 17 in the New Living Translation. Read along with me. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now, go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now, I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. I think this is on. Is it not on? Is it good? Okay, all right. Good morning, Christ Central Church. All right, let's do it one more time. Because I need to be settled here for a little bit. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning. Glad that you could join us. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are continuing our short sermon series titled Echoes of Jesus in the Old Testament, where we are serving various periods in history of Israel in the Old Testament to see how echoes of Jesus can be heard of Christ who is to come. 
right, who came and who rose again, but who is to come again. And we get to look at the, the period of patriarchs. We saw the echoes of Jesus um, talking about there. We also saw how echoes of Jesus were seen in Exodus times. And today, we're looking at the period of the kingdom, kingdom of the kings, where we see uh, the echoes of Jesus being spoken throughout this famous text we find in 2 Samuel 7, and we turn our attention to the promise God makes to Israel's greatest king thus far, and his king David at that. Recently, there has been a significant change in, the, in my household. We have decided to add a new baby to our family, and before we jump to conclusion, no, 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 no. baby means something else here. Okay, don't, don't worry. Don't get your, don't, I'm not talking about that kind of baby. Uh, we call him baby. I know my wife is like, what? Did I know about this? No, not that kind of baby. After my son has researched much into how to take care of a dog and realized it's too much work, we decided not to adopt a dog, but rather a baby hamster. All right, baby hamster, right? <laughs> baby hamster, thank you. Just want to make sure we clarify that before we get all that kind of stuff. One baby is enough for the Sunday, right? The baby woods is coming, so let's celebrate that. It's baby hamster. We don't need any strollers for that. Um, so we decided to adopt a baby hamster. We named him Cutie at that. And do you know that on a, on a uh, Black Friday, there's half-off hamster sale <laughs> where you could get a hamster that was $22. You could get it for $11. So we decided to get this $11 hamster, a Syrian hamster at that. And you realize the hamster was $11 and the case is like 100 bucks, right? The case will outlive the hamster. But we decided to adopt this uh, beautiful hamster cutie, and he has his own following right now, and it takes a lot of work to care for him. But do you know, did you know this? When we adopted this baby hamster, uh, this place, institution called PetSmart, uh, make you sign a contract. You know what the contract says? It's like, I promise, I promise to take care of this baby hamster. I promise not to harm this baby hamster, but I promise to provide an environment and food so this hamster can grow healthy with this family. Would you sign this contract? So before you take this baby hamster home, you actually sign a contract saying, I and my family will take care of this hamster. And we brought this baby hamster home at $11 for us. Well, you understand how the promise and contract works. In many things in our lives, in the things that we do, whether you hire a contractor, whether you sign up for things, simple things as signing up for Disney+, Plus, you know, you're signing into a contract saying, I will receive all the benefits of all the shows I'll binge watch tonight. But I promise to pay, like what, $7.99 or $10.99 a month, and that's what we call a contract, a promise between two parties saying, I'm going to do this and you're going to do this for me. When we come to 2 Samuel 7, we see a promise and a contract that is happening between God and King David as well. And that's what we find David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It begins by saying, When King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord has given him rest from all the surrounding enemies. You see, this comes on the heels of David, the King David, in the context of 2 Samuel, receiving an anointing and a prophecy to be the king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16. And it wasn't the most smooth path in order for him to become a king as we see a threat 
by King Saul and the life of King David, but God nonetheless delivers David and made him a king over Israel, not to mention giving him victories over his enemies, the Ark of the Covenant coming, and now he gets the rest and all around him. So now what? In verse 2, it says, Now the king summons Nathan the prophet and says, Look, David says, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in the tent. Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. So you see David looking at his great palace and how God gives him all this rest around him and says, All right, now it's time for me to repay to the Lord by showing appreciation for the fact that God has kept his promise with me. So what I'm going to do is build this house for the Lord, house of God, thanking God for all that you have done so that I live in the palace leader and now, God, you get to live in this great temple I'm going to build. It's my turn. I'm going to do this for God. But you see, in subsequent verses, God had different plans for David. God comes to Nathan the prophet, and Nathan received this vision, the word during the night, and tells David that God, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God, has a different idea about what this promise, this covenant is going to look like. As we discussed before, covenant, as we often hear that in the church, covenant is a word that's used to describe a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to one another and to work together to reach a common goal. That's what happens here. Covenant means two parties coming together to work together towards a common goal. But what we see in this promise that God speaks subsequently through Nathan to David, that this promise-keeping God, this covenantal God, has a different way about going, about a different way about keeping this promise. And this covenant between God and David describes a different nature of covenant than what we are used to, as well as the people surrounding David might have been used to. Biblically speaking, the covenant that God makes with his people can be easily defined as this. The covenant of God can be easily defined as this. He did it. One he, do it again. He did it. One he, do it again. Actually, it's more closer to he did it and he will do it again. In fact, that's what covenantal uh, God talks to us about what covenant is. So today, we're going to look at two aspects, what God's covenant through 2 Samuel 7 looks like. And first thing we see is that he did it. The first part of the covenant says he did it. In the season of college applications for high school students that are sitting here, as well as job applications, we often list out what we have done lately, Right? We try to build our resume, as we say, uh, or CVs, and we apply, saying, this is all the stuff that I have done, therefore you should hire me. This is all the stuff I have done, therefore you should accept me into your college. And that's what we do. So when it comes to God's resume, it is quite impressive, isn't it? Verse 5 says, go and tell my servant David, let me tell you what I have done for you, right? This is what the Lord has declared, are you the one to build a house for me to live in? David, listen to this, right? I have never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of the Egypt until this very day, I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. 
Yet no matter where I have gone to Israel, I have never once complained to Israel tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why aren't you building or built a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you. This is what I've done, right? I took you from the tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. I have done this. In a similar pattern of speech with the emphasis on the past actions, these opening lines of God's promise or God's covenant reminds David it was God who chose him. And this is in line with God we come to know through the Scripture passages Any careful reader of the Old Testament stories knows this really well, don't we not? From the time the heavens and earth were created, God gave Eden to Adam and Eve, to Noah, who God delivered through the ark, to Abraham, who God calls out of land of earth to send to Canaan, to say that I will build you into a nation, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to lead Israelites out of Egypt, to Joshua, who marches into Jericho, even through Judges against Israelites who were lawless. God delivers them. And to Saul and now to King David, what God reminds him is, I did it. God has done it. God has done it. And if anyone would know that, it was King David. He was the youngest child who was overlooked by his family, even by this great prophet Samuel. He was the one who was sent to basically die into the battle against Israel's mighty army, Goliath. It was David, the one who had no army, no following against piercing spears of King Saul. It was David who was running away and hoping to save his life, sometimes acting crazy to save his life. But this David was chosen by God. This David was anointed by God. And this David was chosen as the next king of Israel. And God took kingdom out of Saul and gave it to David. And now God has brought this Ark of Covenant, the symbol of God's presence to the city of David, Jerusalem. So if anyone knows who this God is, David is. David knows this God as a promise-keeping God. This God as the covenant-making God, David knows this God well, God who keeps his promises. And the question for us this morning, O Church of Christ, do you also know this God like this? Do you recognize this God? As I just read you off the promises of God again and again and again, do you know this God personally like that? Do you recognize him as God who keeps his promises to you? This God is God who works in your life, church, This God is God who knew you before you were born in your mother's womb. This God is God who carefully, thoughtfully put you together. And this God knows the number of hairs in your head. This God orchestrates your path, your journey, and your present. And this God calls you out of sin. This God rescues you out of your hopelessness. And this God delivered you, bought you at a price. Do you know this God? Church, do you really know this God? And that's at the heart of Christianity, isn't it? Forget about all the, all the other stuff around it. At the heart of what it means to know Christ 
is to know this promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God who does not leave you nor forsake you. Oh, and if you're here today who do not know God like this, do you know that even your presence sitting here is work of God? God is orchestrating your presence here, and that's what we call grace. Just talk to some people here who talks about that. Their lives should be full of testimonies of grace of God, speaking into lawlessness, speaking into hopelessness, speaking into sin, and bringing them out into the light. Amen? Do you have stories like that? Can we testify to that church? This is God's divine intervention in your life. If you're looking for miracles of any kind, the fact that God would deliver sinners in himself is the greatest miracle of them all. And for teenagers, students that are sitting here with us today, many of us are in the season of uncertainty, right? The unknowns about our schools, in our social life, perhaps even in our families. In the season of many unknowns, this is why we think it's important for you to hear this truth of God's promise. This is why we do send you off on a retreat. That's why we do want you to do your Bible studies for you to know and remember this truth. Of all the things that the world says you have to learn and study, no matter what, the scripture reminds us that God is one constant that you could always trust in. Not only in your life, but all of ours, because he has been faithful. And many here testify to that. Your parents will testify to that. Adults in this room will testify to that. Even through the ups and downs of our lives in the years gone by, God has been faithful. He did it. And that's what sustains those who gather here today. That's why we want you to hear this. That's why we want you to gather to worship together. And that's what we see in this first half of the promise of God, the covenant of God. God reminds us that he is the only one that does it, that I did it. I did all that. I did all this, David, to bring you here. And God reminds us this morning, church, as you're sitting there, God has done all this to bring you thus far. That is the covenant-keeping God that we worship. Amen? But not only does God tell us that he has done all that, but the second part of the covenant says he will do it again. He will do it. Again, one of our family's favorite restaurant in town is called Lamb's Kitchen. It's a free advertisement for Lamb's Kitchen, right? If you like Chinese food, this is the place to be, right? Um, you have to call like an hour and a half early because if you call too late, then they say, can you come in two hours? Two hours? Yes, because it's so good like that. If you read one of the Yelp reviews that we all like to read, you know what it says? When you go to not just the Lamb's Kitchen, but all these good restaurants, you know what often you want to look for when you read through the Yelp reviews? What you want to read is not those people who are paid to write those reviews, saying like, oh, this is so good. But you want to read those people that come back again, right? Because you know then it's good. If you just come for once and never come back, you know it's not that good. But if you come back again, you know then it's good. The reviews for Yelp, for your Lamb's Kitchen, often says something like this, man, wow. Lambs does it again. They deliver every time. Well, that's why you give five-star reviews, right? Because your expectation is met time and time and time again. 
Well, covenant-keeping God, the promise-keeping God tells us not only that he did it, but not only that he did it, but he will do it again. He will do it again. And that's what we see. He says in verse 9, now, right, God's switching from what I've done in the past to now this is what I'm going to do. Now, I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. And I'll provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations will oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestor, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build the house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father. He will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with a rod like a father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. And your throne will be secure forever. Church, this is a moment when you say amen, right? Don't you believe in that promise? Look at this. What's amazing promise of God? What God is saying as we look forward to this promise of God, right? God will continue to be faithful to David and to Israel. So in your mind, in my mind, it makes sense, doesn't it? For David to think, okay, let me repay you for what you have done, right? Even out of a good desire of gratitude, it makes sense to say, wow, wow, God, this is awesome. Let me set up this temple. It is quite natural for David to think like this. And in fact, many foreign gods around David function like this. Where not only God, uh, the gods that they worship deliver, but people in response to that will build a temple, and God will looking at the temple and will say, okay, wow, that's great. I'm going to be, continue to show my favor upon you. Actually, in ancient Near Eastern Egypt, um, Amon Re, the god of Egypt, it is said the victory hymn of Tutmose III records the words of how the erected god's dwelling place is to be built. And it outstripped all the other kings. And in response to this great temple that this king builds for this Amon Re, the, the Egyptian god, this god declares, I have established you upon the throne of Horus for million years. God looking at this great temple this king builds and says, wow, this great, I'm going to do this for you. In the first millennium B.C., Asherhaddon of Assyria builds a temple of Asher, which has fallen into decay, a temple for Asher, the, king, the god of their time. And it is recorded that he did this, he builds this temple, so for length of the days, for the safety of my priestly throne, for the overthrow of my enemies, for the success of the harvest of Assyria, for the welfare of Assyria. Right? He builds this nice temple. He re-erects this temple so that this God that he believes will continue to bless him in the future. But we don't only need to have history lessons to know how this works. You and I are used to this, Right? The current world is filled with gods and religions that proclaim you must do X, Y, and Z to receive all the benefits, whether it is to follow strict dietary laws or to give up your life as a martyr 
to get an entrance to eternal life, to weigh your good works out of your bad works to enter into heaven, to avoid all the earthly desires as they say, so you could have no desires, and that's what it means to have good life. Karma that says you get what you deserve. We all have seen this, and we all know this about the religions the world throws at us. And it doesn't only have to be these religions that we often buy into, but as we talked about last week, many idols work like this in our life. Many different things in our life work like this. That says, I have done this for you. Now do this for me. If you still want more of what you got. Often the world functions like this in jobs. What have you done for me lately? Let me see the performance reviews. And now I'm going to give you more money as a result of that. The investments, even friendships at times. Says, well, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'll do this for you if you do this for me even if it's done with most virtuous intentions, the repayment is often expected before next favor is given. Church, pay careful attention to this because this is where God's covenant differs from all the other covenants out there that you and I are used to. This is where God's promise differs so distinctly than all the other promises out there. The grace that is so sufficient, so different, so radical, that no other gods can come close to our God and God of David. This is what God's covenant is like. God's grace for David is so different. Where you would expect for God to say, well, God has done it, build the temple as a gratitude, God sees it, and God will promise to bless it. Whether the order of grace in God's covenant is God has done it, God will do it again. Did you catch that? Church, did you really catch that? God has done it, he will do it again. God has done it, and he will do it again. That's the gospel. If you understand the gospel, you know what happens? You can simply rest in it. And that's what God says, right? God has done it. He will do it again. Rest in it. And you may be thinking, wait, 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 wait. Where's the temple building part? Where God rather says, I will build it. I will build it for you. God tells David through Nathan, prophet, don't build a temple just yet. Rather, let me make you into a house. What does that mean? Well, we have to understand what house means for David and for God here. House for David meant a place, a structure, a building. But for God, it's completely different. For God, when he says, I will build you a house, he's talking about dynasty, a kingdom. Notice he doesn't tell David, I'll build you a house. Rather, he says, I'll make you a house. Lord is referring not to a building, but to a dynasty. He's referring to the house of David. He's referring to the house that would be the home, the ultimate, the great David's son, Jesus Christ. And if we zoom out a little bit of David's life and push further into context of history, what God is saying is, I will fulfill the promise I gave to my people before even you. To Abraham that says, I'll make you into a great nation and great kingdom, and many 
will be blessed by this family. And this is God's covenant, God's grace, God's promise, where God says, I will build your house. I will keep you, and I will bless you. And not only you, David, but your descendants, and he will build this family for God. God's grace is never finished in the past tense. It is perpetually in both present tense and in the future tense, saying God's grace was sufficient, but grace is also sufficient, and grace will be sufficient for you. And remember I said that you're made for this. You're made for this covenant. You're made for this promise because God's promise is not dependent upon David's perfect obedience in keeping his part of the agreement or even building a temple. Because we know in subsequent chapters, this great king fails. He murders his close friend and sexually assaults his wife, abusing power that God gives him. He also, out of pride, counts his armies, resulting in punishment of forgetting it was God who built his kingdom. Not to mention his future descendants. Have you read through 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings? It becomes really depressing because they get progressively worse in neglecting God and forgetting God's promise. From Solomon and on, countless kings in light of David fails. So how will God keep his promise? Well, God tells David that, doesn't he? God says, I will keep my promise to you, David, despite your death. In verse 12 and 13, it says, For when you die and bury with your ancestor, I will raise up one of your descendants. Even after you die, I will keep this promise. Even despite the sin that attempts to destroy this covenant, in 14 and verse 15, God says, I will be his father. He will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him. My favor will not be taken from him. Despite sins of his descendants, God will still keep his promise. And despite the time against Israelites, God says, I'll keep his promise. Verse 16, your house, your kingdom will continue before me all the time. Your throne will be secure forever. Church, again, what this promise is for us, the gospel promise says he will do it. He will do it again. Despite Despite our sin, despite our failures, despite our circumstances, despite our brokenness, here God will do it again. And here is the echoes of Jesus that we see in this text, don't we? How is God going to keep his promise? We see this fulfillment of this great promise is ultimately found in King Jesus Christ, in line of David. His kingdom comes and his throne is established forever. And his household includes many that he calls his own into his own. He does this in grace by taking your sin upon his shoulders. He takes that path towards the Calvary, nailed to the rugged cross, rises again to fulfill the promise given to David in 2 Samuel 7. And ultimately the house, the dwelling place of God is Christ himself who comes to dwell with God's people in line of King David. King Jesus, God dwells with God's people. And through him, the house of God is established. You and I are made for that. You and I who places their faith in Christ is made 
for that. Amen? Church, what is our proper response to that? For that, we read on. In verse 18 is King David's response to God's promise that says, I will do it, I will do it again. In verse 18 says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. What do you do? Start building the house? No. He prayed. And he says, Who am I, O sovereign Lord? What is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, O sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, sovereign Lord? Because of your promise, according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant how great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nations on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Israel. You performed awesome miracles, drove out the nations, God, that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever. You, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. Church, you know what that is? That is worship right? Right posture towards God in response to the grace of God. And this is what it means to receive this grace of God. It's not, let me just build this kingdom here. Let me build this temple here. Let me do all these great things so to God I can look good. But rather it is saying, wow, Lord, what amazing grace this is. Let me bow down and worship and say, who am I, Lord? You know all of me. You know all my future. You know all my failures. But Lord, you are so great. Despite my own failure, you still overcome. And in posture of humility, you turn to the Lord in worship and say, You, O Lord, deserve all the honor, all honor, all worship. All my life is bowed down at your feet. Church, that's what it means to worship the Lord. It is not forced singing. It's not forced obedience. It's not forced actions. It's not some ideology that we prop up. It's not some picture that we want to put out there in the social media for people to see. Rather, it is a song of praise and honor and worship to God who promises, who keeps it, who takes it to completion. Psalm 39, inspired by the promise of 2 Samuel, leads us to sing like this. It said, I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. Church, this is our God. This is echo of Jesus in 2 Samuel 7. This is why we gather on this Sunday to celebrate his death and his resurrection. Church, he did it, and he will do it again. He did it in coming to us. He did it in dying for us, and he will do it again as he did it in rising again, and he will do it again when he returns in glory, when Jesus returns as King of kings and Lord of lords. 
As I talked about before, there are many changes happening in the house of Kim household. And I realize eight-year-old is a fun age, right? It's a fun age. A lot of you tell me that as well. It's also an age of enlightenment where they question not only how, but also your heart, your intent, especially when it comes to food. They often wonder, why? Why must I eat this? Just the other day, I want my child to eat broccoli. I know, something that they will say, what is this thing? It looks weird to me. Bring me hot dogs and pizza. Any brown food will do, but not that green stuff. <laughs> and we try to make it tasty as you can, right? Some sesame oil, you know, sesame seeds, soy sauce, all this stuff. And he looks at it and says, no thanks. Now, to this I say, baby, has daddy ever given you something bad to eat? And then I see his mind working, right? And he says, sometimes. <laughs> All right, maybe my cooking is really bad. But I tell him, okay, that's fair. But have I ever given you something that's bad for your body? And he would say, no. Eat it, right? No, I'll say, do you think this is bad for you? I will never give you that. I have given you good things, and I will continue to give you good food. Church, this is Jesus who is echoed throughout 2 Samuel 7 that reminds us this is how a covenant God works. God who loves us so much, who God loves you in your own circumstances, in your brokenness, in all that you're going through. He loves you so much to the point of giving you his son, giving his life on the cross to die. How much more will he keep his promise to us? God did it. He will do it again. Let's pray. So will you pray with me as we prepare in time for the Lord's Supper? Um, let's pray, will you? Say, God, will you help me to trust in the Lord, to remember your promises of God? You know what it means to walk with the Lord as you close your eyes to remember? The practice of trusting the Lord, to walk with the Lord, to be a disciple of Christ is often looking back at God's promises in the past when he did it, but also looking forward in hope of knowing that he will deliver again. That's what it means to live in this side of eternity, already and not yet, but knowing that it will be fulfilled. That's what it means to walk with the Lord. So pray that prayer this morning, will you? Pray that with me. Father, that's our prayer, Lord, as we come in this presence to worship the Lord, that you will teach us what it means to trust in the Lord for his faithfulness, God who has delivered in the past, not only in my own personal life, in the lives of those that are sitting around me, in the lives of those in the history of the church, in the lives of those who we read about in the scripture, in the lives of those who testify to God's grace time and time again, even to the point of giving up his life, giving up their lives. Lord, now we look forward to the, to the future with hope, not because of what we can do or not how much we can accomplish on our own, but because God who promised that has done it in the past will continue to deliver despite our failures. And that's what we look forward to in the season of Lent, in the season of Easter, the grace of God that says it's not about you, but about Him. It's not about what you can do, but about all that He can do. And all we have to do is in posture to rest and the grace in response to worship. May that be true of us, Lord, as we gather. May this table represent that for us as we gather. 
May we, as a church, represent the grace to not only one another, to the watching world, especially in this season of Easter. May that be true of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.